My chance to go watch Made in China. We play ping pong ball Made in China. Hello and welcome to China Econ Talk. I'm Jordan Schneider, your host here today with Ma Tianjie, founder and host of ChublicOpinion.com. That's C-H-U-B-L-I-C Opinion.com, a blog covering Chinese online public opinion. Tianjie, thanks so much for coming on the show today. Thank you for inviting me. So um, your your blog is 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 really remarkable in its um uh, in its uh, analysis and uh, and and long history of, of these monthly reports. I'm curious what uh, what first brought you to start this uh, start this project. I think the blog was started because I was inspired by actually by a Chinese blog which uh, no longer exists. Um, it's actually a column which used to be hosted on the Financial Times Chinese website called Meiti Jiaqi. Um, which was written by a veteran editor at the uh, Shanghai Oriental Daily at around that time. And he did a fantastic job of um, sort of summarizing and digesting uh, what's going on in the Chinese media landscape on numerous um, issues and, and, and shedding a light on the kind of public mood and, and the zeitgeist of the time. And but he stopped his blog in 2014. So was there was there one um, uh, column that you remember in particular as being uh, really really interesting? Well, there are many of them uh, in those, especially in those quite defining moment in recent history, like the the Tianjin, oh no, the 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 high speed rail crash um, uh, in Wenzhou mm. uh, in 2011. Uh, which was a mega event for uh, on Chinese uh, uh, social media around th- around that time, and he did a really good job summarizing what's the different schools of thought and debates uh, around that big event, and 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 um, it, it was definitely an inspiring thing uh, around that time, and I was a big fan of that blog. Uh, unfortunately, it was in English, uh, in, in Chinese only, and I think that the, the the international audience would definitely benefit from something like that. Um, so around 2015, I, I started this public opinion, um, largely taking uh, the approach uh, similar to that Meiti Jiaqi column, um, but doing it in English. Uh, unfortunately, he stopped blogging in 2014, so mine's sort of become the the, <laughs> the thing that's left behind. And um, but I have been keeping doing it for the past like three years. Now. So two questions: First, have you have you reached out to him yet? Yes, yes. Uh, we're on WeChat. Uh, oh, and so he's fun. doing a, a business now. I think he's not in, in the business of writing anymore. Um, but, but I did reach out to him and, and told him that I was inspired by, by his blog. Yeah. Oh, that's great. <laughs> um, so, uh, so question number two. So was this, was this uh, you know, following the, the tides of current opinion, something you've been interested for a long time? Was it related at all to, to what you studied in, in school or just started as a hobby? Uh, yeah, I have been doing this for quite a while because my previous job was in advocacy mm. uh, in the environmental field. Um, so to be effective in advocacy, actually, you need to have a sense of where the public mood is and, and where um, public opinion lies in, on certain um, topics and issues. Um, for example, one of the issues I have I've been following quite closely uh, was pollution, right? So how public reacts to pollution. Um, and that would definitely affect how we design advocacy projects um, and how you define your like your design your messages um, so that it got more resonance with the public. So I think with this, this is uh, how I sort of trained myself in sort of 
reading uh, public mood uh, uh, through Chinese media and also social media. That's really interesting because um, one of the one of the striking features of your blog is how it you know it's straight news. There isn't there isn't a lot of advocacy or um uh, you know talking one side or another. There is that is that kind of writing difficult for you coming from that sort of background or um, did it did it end up um, becoming more and more natural the um uh, the straight reporting aspect of your blog? Well, I think it's a conscious choice, right? So definitely, I think I need to separate uh, when I was writing the blog. I, I need to separate uh, it clearly from my my job, right? Um, and I do feel that for a blog like this, being impartial is very important. Sure. Um, because you do want to rep- represent the, the different views um, on Chinese social media, even um, some of them, I, I don't, I strongly disagree, right? There are a lot of like very nationalistic voices um, that I, 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 I don't like, but I, I feel that it's my responsibility to represent them um, because they also represent a very important part of online opinion in China. Um, so I, I, I definitely need to uh, be disciplined um, in, in writing the blog. Uh, one sec. Though, though it does seem like you, 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 you seem to have a bit of fun um, when you get to quote these uh, you know, very strong statements from these uh, very right-wing nationalists. Uh, it seems like you're, you, you also enjoy um, uh, you know, yes. reading that sort of stuff and getting into the weeds on the, uh, the, strong, the far, right, uh, far right perspective. Yeah, because I think some of them are, are, are funny, right? Because um, they, they tend to use very flowery languages, which make it, make it fun to translate and, and try to express it in English. For sure. <laughs> yeah, it's a quite an interesting experience so um so speaking of uh, about english um you know your 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 writing is really um incredible and and frankly i'm jealous and wish i could write <laughs> i wish i could write that way so I'm, I'm curious if you have any advice to uh to language learners of, of chinese or english out there um uh you know what what do you think you've done that's been so helpful in, in getting your written level um up so high well i think reading definitely helps a lot i i think i i'm a pretty heavy reader so whenever i'm like uh walking or um running um i i i, I like to listen to uh, very well narrated english materials mm-hmm. um and i do keep vocabularies um quite systematically uh using different apps and things like that like which uh a biscuit biscuit yeah there's a this a very small app called Biscuit that helps you organize uh, vocabularies. When, whenever you pick up something online or in your reading, you can just organize it into different vocabularies. So cool. this is something I do. Yeah. Okay. So what's the uh, what's the book you're listening to right now? Well, I, I'm now subscribed to this app called Autumn, um, which it, it sort of collected all the articles from New York New Yorker, um, uh, New York Review of Books, London Review of Books, and and have very good narrators just read it to you, mm. um, which I find very helpful when uh, when you have a lot of time, like in commute or so, uh, yeah, something sure. like that. Sure. Yeah. What's frustrating for me is I can only listen to nursery stories and understand them. <laughs> so hopefully, when I get to be able to understand, you know, decent, decent, uh, decent journalism, um, you know, I know that stuff's out there for me in, in Chinese. But uh, I think yeah, there there should be a lot of uh, Chinese podcasts um, yeah, like Shimalaya, yeah, yeah, that can help you get familiarized with with the Chinese language. Yeah, and yeah. just a hello to all our Shimalaya listeners out there. This podcast is also um. Uh, is also uh, is also up on that site. Oh, okay. So um, uh, uh, so yeah. So turning to um, uh, uh, your, your blog. So how um, how do you decide what what you're gonna what you're gonna write about every day? It's just what you 
um, what you find yourself reading about or, 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 or what, what, what drives you to a certain topic? Um, sure. I, I, I do have a sort of a radar um, on my Weibo. Um, that's how uh, I, I select my topics. So first of all, I'm very selective of who I follow on Weibo. I, I, I see my Weibo follow, uh, like th- those who I follow as samples mm-hmm. um, that uh, needs to represent a certain segment uh, of uh, online opinion. Um, so whenever I see someone uh, who is becoming increasingly relevant, who is being retweeted by some of the other people I'm following, um, I pay attention to them and and I I I, I check their their uh, track records on Weibo and see if their uh, opinions are are original and interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, so I I I do. Is that, keep... is that an issue on Weibo originality? People um. Uh... Yes, because there are a lot of people who are just repeating uh, each other, right? Um, then the then you only need to follow the one who's actually the the, the original one, sure. uh, right? Um, but. From time to time, um, some of them get silented. Some of them got emerged. Some of them suddenly become popular, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I I do keep update my my Weibo, Weibo um, follow list um, quite regularly, um, and I also want them to represent a certain segment. So I do, for example, have a segment that are all, all of the nationalists, right, mm-hmm. uh, from different schools, um, and. There is a big cluster, which is the finance and business commentators. There is a big cluster who are technological commentators, um, even anime and like game uh, communities, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I want my um, sample to to somehow reflect the, the zeitgeist of of, of Weibo. Yeah. So so is this something that that that? Oh, I imagine this is something that frustrates you um, with a lot of Western media talks about kind of China as a monolith. Um, and maybe parts, um, a- aspects of the society, maybe, but um, you know, just, just uh, I think your your blog is great evidence to the fact um, that there is a really, you know, a ton of diversity of opinion um, with regards to basically any topic you could you could possibly think of. So I'm curious um, if there's some Western media gets it right. If you if you share this frustration, um, what what besides um, reading lots of Weibo do you think uh, foreign journalists could do to to get a better sense of these nuances that you that you cover? Well, I won't say I'm frustrated because uh, I, through my work, actually, I, I get to know a lot of the foreign correspondents based in China. Mm-hmm. Some of them are my very good friends, right? So I, I know what kind of constraints they need to face when they are writing their stories for their own uh, media organizations. And some of them are not necessarily biased, but they are sort of restrained by who they can interview and, and what kind of sources they have access to, right? Mm. And I think social media definitely. I think many of them are becoming aware of the, those constraints and and starting to pay more attention on this kind of social media uh, voices uh, and try to also de- develop their own samples um, to some extent. Um, but but to be able to decipher this kind of social media message, you do need to have a quite good grasp of uh, first of all the language and then the, the cultural context, right? To be able to identify those that those that are really relevant and those that are not because there are also a lot of noises right on sure. on social media um so so since this is nominally a podcast about economics uh <laughs> if you can uh, if you could throw out uh you know two or three uh Weibo personalities who do you mm. who you think are you know give us give us a broad range of opinions and are and are particularly interesting to uh, to read and follow sure like on on finance and business uh, and and sort of uh economic issues i would definitely recommend uh first of all Cao Shanshi, right? Who is? I think he is actually a 
either a People's Daily journalist or a, a Xinhua news agency journalist. But he has a sort of a very different persona, right, on Weibo, and he was he's known for actually leaking stuff on Weibo, all kinds of internal documents, and <laughs> and people uh, people in those very big financial firms sometimes will send him personal messages, right, and 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 tell him, okay, there's this thing going on in our company right now, yeah, yeah. and he posts those uh, snapshots or uh, screenshots, right, and and becomes sort of a trending topic on Weibo. Sure. So. He is very much, uh, I think, uh, widely watched on Weibo on all those kind of financial de developments. Um, another uh, guy I follow, which I find very original, is this guy called uh, Yu Xiaoyang, um, who is actually, I think, a, a scholar at Tsinghua University. Uh, uh, I think he's, his uh, speciality is actually in energy and environmental economics, but he, on Weibo, he actually gives comments to uh, a lot of uh, social issues from an economic point of view. Sure. I think he's trained at Stanford or uh, somewhere like that. Uh, very original, uh, uh, so uh, doesn't follow any like uh, ideological rule book, right? Very original thinker. And there are a bunch of uh, former columnists like uh, Fu Zhifeng, who used to be a Wall Street Journal columnist for, for, for on the China side, mm -hmm. right? Uh, has his own Weibo and pretty influential and a bunch of Shanghai-based analysts um, who are also very active on, on Weibo, like Fan Tong Dai Laoban. Um, these people like watch the stock market quite closely, yeah. but they also tend to comment on all kinds of social issues and things like that, and, and have their own like financial kind of take on those things. Very cool. Yeah. Well, um, uh, well, maybe we'll put up a uh, China Econ Talk recommends uh, Weibo channel. Sure, you should. Uh, you should. Sponsored yeah. by sponsored by public opinion. <laughs> we'll give you all the credit, not to worry. So um, the reason I wanted to do this podcast now was uh, to go a little bit deeper into your most recent uh, post, which is about the the Chinese uh, social uh, media response to uh, our Maui John, our, yeah. our our trade war, which is uh, which is happening right now. So. Um, Maybe if you could start out with um, with what the official line has been over the past uh, few months or so, and then go on to to the um, to the social responses for it. So first, what sure. has the government been saying? Sure, I think the government. My take is that they're still cautious, right? One of the most significant thing is that to understand is that the the trade war hasn't started yet officially, right? Because all the tariffs that that Trump has proposed hasn't actually come into effect yet, um, and more significantly. For the last round of Trump's bluff, right, to put uh, extra tariff on, I think, 10, uh, 100 billion uh, Chinese goods and services, um, China actually didn't, haven't or haven't matched, matches his bluff yet, right? So China didn't offer any countermeasure to the latest round of Trump's threat, um, which I think shows, like, officially China is still pretty cautious uh, in, in its response to the trade war. And if you look at all the messages from the Ministry of Foreign Affairs, the Ministry of Commerce, the message is definitely something like the, the trade war won't benefit uh, anyone, right? So it seems that their desire is to to end this um, in, in some way and don't actually escalate into a sort of a full-blown trade war. Sure. I mean, it's, 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 uh, it's still a, a very different time uh, we're living in from... Uh, Melania coming and hanging out with pandas, and uh, you know Trump, Trump getting the uh, the, the imperial treatment at the Forbidden City. Um, you know our our most recent trip of the uh, I think they called themselves the Avengers. The oh, the um, Avengers. Well, okay. this was the, this was uh, a um, uh, uh, 
uh, in like a, a commonly followed newsletter about American politics. Some mm. some source from the White House said, you know, we're sending our team of Avengers, <laughs> like the Marvel movie that's coming out. And then the journalist said, well, you know, if they're calling themselves the Avengers, it's probably not the best way to, um, uh, uh, you know, start a negotiation, no, right? If you're no. out to fight evil. Um, but uh, but yeah, no, we, we've, we've certainly come a long way from those uh, Halcyon days. Uh, Halcyon's <laughs> made it onto your um, biscuit list yet. So while the, the, the government's official um, messaging has been very muted on this topic. Uh, the, uh, the, the the social media response has certainly not been. Mm. Uh, so so why don't we uh, start with this idea of um, an agricultural economy versus an industrial power? <laughs> you said there was a, a pretty interesting response to the first um, back and forth of the of the ver- of the various tariff lists, where mm. Trump said we're going to put fifty billion dollars of tariffs on, and, and China coming back with their own fifty billion dollar yep. list. Um, they contained very different. Um, uh, they, they they were they were uh, putting tariffs on very different things. So yeah. how did how did uh, how did Weibo um, see that uh, see these two documents? Yeah, I think it's a interesting contrast when uh, the U.S. actually put tariffs on some of the most advanced technologies and and uh, like industries from China. But actually, what China can do with U.S. imports of, uh, imports are mostly like in the agriculture uh, sector. So they put extra tariff on nuts, right? Um, apples or uh, grains, right? I mean, I really like my almonds. I'm just, I'm, <laughs> I'm worried about this. <laughs> yeah. So I, and, and I think uh, there's, there, there was this social media response, uh, a pretty um, gleeful response that is somehow um, is showing the shift of positions of the Chinese economy and the U S economy uh, based on those two lists. Um, some people were saying that, okay, does this mean that China is already becoming sort of an industrial powerhouse while it looks like the U.S. economy is dominated by ag- the, the sort of agricultural sector, um, even though these are not actually accurate uh, reflection of, of the two economies because these are mostly like uh, imported and ex- import and export, right, which doesn't necessarily reflect the whole economy. But still, I think it reflects somehow this public sentiment here that is... Uh, pretty complacent, I would say, about Chinese developments in the past decades, and 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 somehow uh, uh, being uh, proud, or, or there's some kind of a pride in seeing that China is taking up more and more those kind of advanced technologies and being more, uh, or even like make the U.S. feel threatened um, by its by its industries, basically. Yeah, yeah it's it's interesting because a, a sort of theme um, uh, running through your your column about this is this is this uh, this mix between pride and um, you know insecurity. Because mm. on the one hand, it's oh look, you know we can go toe to toe with the Americans, but on yeah. the other hand, I mean as we're going to get to in a little bit, um, the 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 potential vulnerability of the Chinese economy yeah. um, and how there's still a lot of aspects of it which are which are very much dependent on on U.S. exports which could be um, uh, um, which 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 um, Trump is lo- looking to uh, mm. curtail or threaten. Yeah. So um, so going going to the next point, um, one of the interesting uh, comparisons which um, which which social media was making was was uh, China twenty five to um, you know Zizi Zizu mm. uh, the, the 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 Maoist era self reliance autarky um, yeah. type of industrial um, industrial policy. Could you talk a little bit about that? Sure. First of all, I think uh, Made in China 2025 is a very important uh, uh, policy document I, would th- I think everybody should pay attention to uh, because it definitely represents China's aspiration um, as as an economy, basically. Like what it, 
it would like to see itself develop into in the next uh, 10 years, basically. Um, and I, I also, I think, explains a lot of the so-called insecurity uh, that people is, uh, are feeling because I think nowadays what dominates uh, sort of the national discussion on economic issues is uh, those multiple traps that people feel that it, that's it, that's ahead of us, right? One of the traps is the so-called mid-income trap, um, which China definitely wants to avoid. Uh, basically, it's seeing that at some point of your of your uh, income level, right, you either get a breakthrough and upgrade your industries to a, to a different level, or you get stuck at that level and even uh, uh, get a, a downgrade, right? And the example they use is often Latin America, right? Argentina, Brazil, which had their chance uh, of breaking through the mid-income trap, but mm-hmm. they somehow failed. And, and now they're even going back to primary industry, like going back to natural resources and agriculture, right? And they're, they're seeing their income level like stagnate for, for decades. Um, another trap is the Japanese trap, right? Because um, the, the so-called lost decade, uh, where it seems that Japan also somehow failed to break through right to a, to a, to another level, um, so I think people, uh, policymakers, economists, the, the general public, that they seems to be vexing about how to um, how to overcome um, the so-called mid-income uh, uh, trap and bring the, the country's economy to a, to a, to a whole different level. And and the answer is made in China twenty twenty five, right? They are looking at. Germany's plan, uh, the, the so-called Made in Germany 4.0 or something like that, and they're looking at other countries, South Korea, um, and 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 try to figure out, okay, how do we uh, 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 transfer or transform China from a country that mainly makes socks and and t-shirts to an economy that can make uh, 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 airplanes um, or high-speed trains, right? All all those um, uh, highly like value-added industry, um, and I think. That's sort of the the core of what's being uh, threatened now uh, by the by the trade war, and and why are people so worried um, at at this point? Yeah. Sure, I mean uh, Trump Trump has very explicitly said that um, he he and and a lot of other um, American politicians and commentators have have seen Made in China twenty twenty five as a threat, mm-hmm. um, and um, this vision of. Uh, you know, self-reliant, um, not particularly, um, you know, technology companies that are not particularly integrated with, um, you know, global markets or, or, or using American technology is something that um, that scares a lot of foreigners. So I'm interested um, coming to that, the, uh, the, the nationalist take on this uh, on, on this trade war. Uh, uh, if you could if you could walk us through there was a there was a great um, quote by one of your um, uh, uh, one of your sources saying that uh, what the trade war is trying to do is quote keep China in the bondage of low end industries to be externally and in- to be eternally exploited by the U.S. hegemony technologically and financially. Mm. Um, so, so where is this uh, sentiment coming from, and 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 who's echoing these sorts of thoughts? Sure, I think if I think those comments are coming from a kind of mental image of China being um, like forever a, a sort of a, a, a sweatshop, right? So people have this idea that. Um, in the past, the Chinese economy, and in the past two, three decades, right, a lot of the the growth comes from this kind of labor-intensive, cheap labors, right, and and um, there there's always this uh, narrative that uh, most of the values, right, uh, in the supply chain, global supply chain, uh, actually goes back to the likes of Apple, Nike, right, um, um, who is actually using Chinese 
cheap labor, but actually keeping most of the benefit and most of the profits. Sure. And now, uh, now actually, China uh, wants more uh, share of that cake, right? They, they it, it wants its own industries to occupy a higher uh, place in the in the global uh, value ladder. Um, um, and some people are reading the the trade war as an attempt by the the Western world to basically keep China um, uh, forever in in that um, cheap labor position. Um, and and there's it's getting I think quite some traction. As a narrative now, uh, in pe- when when people are discussing uh, this trade war, but I think there is one very important differentiation here, which is the so-called self-reliance idea, mm-hmm. which is this Mao Maoist idea that, um, like in the past, like when we are talking about pre-cultural revolution China, right? So at that time, actually, the Chinese economy was like completely shut from the global economy, right? It's even even uh, shut with the Soviet Union after the relationships got, got bad. Um, and at, at that time, there's there's this really like self dependency um, uh, uh, idea, right? Because uh, you 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 could could not rely on any anyone uh, uh, around you. But I think made in China 2025 is definitely not about self reliance and self dependency, even though it's about it's about competitiveness, right? Sure. Uh, but actually, it will needs to it will needs the global eco- market to actually make it work, right? If you're looking at um, China's Belt and Road strategy, uh, for example, a, a lot of a, a lot of uh, a, a large part of the Belt and Road strategy is a, is about promoting Chinese technologies overseas. Right? They sure. want to set uh, railway uh, standards in in Africa, right? so that uh, Chinese uh, high speed railway systems can be exported to the, another continent. Right? So I think the vision of Made in China 2025 is definitely some some uh, a vision that's embedded within the global market right that that's that requires more integration with the global market rather than shutting china up again so i think in that aspect i think the nationalist the the, the right wing nationalist actually read it wrong i would say yeah. and that's why uh, their most high pitched uh, 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 arguments were actually uh, censored, uh, ironically, by by the government, and and also was criticized by uh, People's Daily and, and all those uh, official propaganda outlets. Because I think the the message that the Chinese uh, official positions would like to send is not about shutting China up again, shutting the door again. Actually, they they want to embrace the global market. It's only that they want to. Um, have occupy a higher uh, place uh, in the global value chain. Sure. Yeah. So, so let's now come to the the left wing critique of this. Um, something that I they have not heard reported anywhere else. Which you were talking about. Um, some commentators even thanking Trump um, for uh, for uh, for pushing this trade war, mm. arguing that um, you know China is not as open as um, as you know the past uh, past leaders of you know Zhu Rongyu and, and and Deng Xiaoping yeah. wanted. Um, and and how this is is now an opportunity for China to to, to reassess what um, uh, you know the parts of the parts of uh, its uh, economic system that are not particularly liberalized. Mm. Um, could you talk us through that that argument and where's that and where that's coming from? Sure. Um, so there's always this liberal, I think, a liberal argument uh, saying that actually China should thank um, uh, the, the the global market and and other countries right for. Uh, and also particularly its uh, its entrance into the WTO right as an opportunity to actually put more pressure domestically uh, to open up the economy and to liberalize the economy which some still think is in- insufficient right um and that argument has exists as as 
I think as long as two decades, um, uh, starting from when China was aspiring, right, to be more integrated into the global market. Sure. And I think that that kind of sentiment still lingers um, today, right? So whenever there is any uh, moment in relation to China's w- WTO commitments, for example, there is always uh, this debate about, okay, did we actually meet our commitment to the WTO uh, by op- uh, for like opening up all those sectors? Uh, because people do see that uh, uh, or are frustrated frustrated by certain things like um, very high tax on on imported cars, right? I, I think when if you are a Chinese consumer and you are actually aspiring to buy a Cadillac or a, a, a Toyota or Lexus, right, and you find that okay, these cars are much more expensive than. Uh, a, a, a U.S. consumer is paying, or a Japanese consumer is paying. It's, a, it's almost like a hundred percent more, something like that. Something like that, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, there are people who are actually not happy with the progress China has made in opening up its market, right? So, whenever th- this kind of moments uh, comes, there is always those voices saying, "Okay, actually, um, we should open the doors wider anyway, right?" So, these are opportunities, and these are actually beneficial external pressures like Trump's threats or the WTO deadlines and things like that. Um, so this is, I think, a long-lasting or long-standing argument uh, even that, that, that still exists today uh, that argue that actually China can make use of some of those uh, external pressures to open up its, its uh, 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 domestic economy um, wider and also uh, reform its state-owned sector, uh, which is still pretty in- inefficient, um, uh, Making use of those those pressures. Yeah. So so let's talk about an American who exports uh, cars to China. Um, <laughs> actually, he uh, he gets a discount because it's um uh, they're electronic cars. So um or electric cars. So um, Elon Musk also has a has a role in this story. So talk about how he's involved in the uh, in the in the social media debate here about the trade war. Yeah, I think before I think before Trump announced its first round of uh, tariffs, uh, Elon Musk actually uh, tweeted Trump uh, quite openly, um, uh, complaining about the kind of unfair treatment he got um, from China, um, mainly uh, this joint venture uh, arrangements that uh, he think he he is forced into uh, uh, entering. Uh, and also uh, the unfair tariffs, right? So in China, if you want to uh, make your cars, right, manufacture your cars in, here in China, there is still this requirement that you need to form a joint venture with a local partner. Uh, and you, I think you can own probably only 49% of, of, mm-hmm. of the share and things like that. Um, most, most of the other uh, major car makers, they have reached this kind of uh, agreements. I think may, many of them have set up joint ventures in China, uh, some of them quite prof- uh, profitable, uh, but uh, Musk complained about it on tweet, and somehow it got uh, 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 caught people's eyes on on Chinese social media, and he got pretty uh, uh, heavily ridiculed um, for his complaint, um, which shows actually some of the, the sort of the changing uh, sentiments on Chinese social media when it comes to this kind of um, economic matters. So, so what was the uh, what was the critique of Elon Musk then? Um, I think people were saying that he was uh, whining uh, because if you look at, for example, how how he was how Tesla was uh, uh, subsidized, oh, how Tesla was subsidized uh, heavily in California, for example, right? So it's it's not like um, uh, 
uh, Tesla itself uh, is free from government support and and government subsidies, right? Actually, it was pretty heavily subsidized. Yeah, I back think, in the U.S. Yeah, I think but, there was a um, uh, there was a big story around. Um, uh, this was this was post stimulus. He got like a a uh, land for really cheap from the from the mm. state government of California, and then there was a big. Um, this was the same um, the loan the same like clean energy loan program um, mm. that was the Solyndra scandal. Whoever mm. re- if whoever remembers that back <laughs> from 2011, um, but um, uh, you know he was definitely a recipient of below market um, below market loans that helped him helped him um, in the in the early years when uh, Tesla was not was not uh, Tesla and uh, you know the rocket company we're yeah. not we're not doing too hot yeah so i think people uh on social media actually pointed to that and and are arguing that he is uh, acting like uh, hypocritically right because um to them uh, china also has a right to actually shield its own uh, nascent uh, ev industry from international competition because china is also a, a developing country and under wto actually china has all the right actually to set up some of those um, barriers to protect its own nascent uh, car industries, right? So people were basically saying that you are be, becoming a, a hypocrite who is actually enjoying U.S. government subsidies, but then complain about Chinese protection of its own uh, car industry. Sure. Uh, so, so I'm curious if this um, if this uh, really does end up heating up the trade war. Um, what what different options from a public relations standpoint the government has about how to message um how to message any um you know inconveniences that uh chinese domestic consumers or domestic companies may face um with regards to um impacts from uh from the trade war actually i think it's a million dollar question uh, because I, I i think the chinese government currently is facing quite some um difficulties of communicating um its trade war positions right because on the one hand it doesn't uh, want to be seen as making big concessions, right? With 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 the U.S. side, um, that's why when President Xi Jinping announced a a a, a series of uh, market opening uh, measures at Boao Luntan, the Boao Forum, a few weeks ago, the Ministry of uh, Commerce actually, uh, Com- the Ministry of Commerce actually has to uh, came out public and say this is not a concession uh, to the U.S. side. Actually, if the U.S. doesn't agree to our uh, demands, right? Um, those market opening measures would not apply to U.S. Uh, companies or U.S. businesses, right? So I, I think they, they need to play a pretty uh, tricky uh, balancing act here uh, by not showing the public that China is making concessions, but but also stick to its uh, long-term vision um, as um, sort of uh, a country that actually embraces globalization, right? Because if you look at the, the, the messages from the top leadership, China has pretty surprisingly become a sort of a champion of globalization, right, after, especially after the election in the United States. So it also doesn't want to abandon that kind of message and suddenly become sort of a, another economic sort of protectionist uh, economy, right? So I think it, it has to play the, the game quite um, uh, delicately, I would say. Sure. Um, I'm curious if you could, um, you know, just like assign a skill level um, you know, how good do you think uh, uh, the the Chinese government is at communicating these sorts of things and formulating um, messages that that they that you think can 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 resonate um, with the broader public? Is this something um, ha- that's been trending positively or negatively over time? How would you what grade would you give, uh, you know, China's me- uh, the, the PRC's uh, messaging operation? Well, so far, I would 
give them a seven right out of a ten or an eight because I think they're pretty responsive uh, to public sentiments. Um, and uh, so far, I think they are managing the the messaging quite well in the sense that first you have plenty of hard talking right to, to, that makes you seem tough right on surface even even if when you look at the the substance china hasn't actually actually retaliate um that that strongly um but they have been talking tough but on the other hand they have also been um offering the kind of uh uh, uh measures um that actually is consistent with china's globalization messages right so internationally i think it's also Better received, I would say, uh, than the Trump administration, right? I think there's there are, uh, even some sympathy um, from the international side. If you look at, for example, last week, I think the Financial Times comes up with a uh, uh, editorial, basically saying that the the U.S. Uh, negotiation uh, position was like a, a, a sort of a, a imperialist kind of uh, treaty offered to China back in the 19th, uh, 19th century, right? Yeah. So there, there's actually some sympathy to China when the, the U.S. side was acting or being seen as being unreasonable, right? Yeah. Um, so it, if you look at that, I think the, the Chinese government is man- managing its messages quite quite smartly, I would say. Um, yeah, we um, uh, we spoke uh, this past episode with with Chris Balding, a professor um, at PKU Shenzhen, mm. uh, the, the HBSC Business School, and he was talking about um, you know how disappointed he's been with the Trump messaging, mm. um, and how you know if they were only more focused and, and drilling home the fact that China's not an open economy, mm. um, just saying that over and over and over again, um, and not doing uh, other you know, trade issues, fighting with allies, mm. um, you know, picking fights with, with China and, I mean, picking fights with Canada and, uh, and Mexico EU. and yeah. the EU of all people, yeah. um, then uh, maybe we wouldn't we wouldn't be seeing these types of uh, FT columns. Uh, <laughs> uh, but it's um, uh, it's interesting how the, how the roles really have reversed, where here we have the U.S. pushing um, China to, to open its market, where at the same time, uh, Trump just feels like putting up, you know, tariff barriers for the sake of tariff yeah. barriers. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the, the role switches back and forth over the past, um, you know, since, uh, since the beginning of 2017, since the yeah. first Xi, um, uh, World Economic Forum speech are, are, are really head spinning. Mm. So, um, with that, I think I want to turn to a few of your past, uh, a few of my favorite, uh, past public opinion columns <laughs> and maybe get a, maybe get a little special update. So I'm curious, uh, you, you, wrote earlier about this, uh, rise in the domestic, um, movie, particularly mm. this like patriotic movie, mm. uh, sentiment, uh, this, the, the, the stream of patriotic movies since, uh, you, you, the, the the one you focused on was Wolf Warrior Two John Al- yeah. John Long R yeah. um, but but more recently we we've the seen uh, Ho Ho High right um, <laughs> I'm curious if you uh, if you made it to see that movie and and and, yes. and what you thought of uh, that it I think it it sold even better than uh, John uh, not Long better R, right? not better not better but on the same level probably yeah. yes like three billion domestic uh, box office sure yeah um, yeah I think this is definitely a trend because I think for years the Chinese propaganda uh, machine has been trying to figure out right how to do this kind of nationalistic propaganda more effectively right because in the past it's really hard sell right if like if you ask me when i was a middle school student right um we have to be forced to a cinema to watch a very boring like patriotic movie um and none of them would be successful 
naturally, right? On, yeah. In 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 the box office, if you give people a choice, nobody would want to see these those movies. But I think nowadays, I think they they have found the kind of formula, um, the the kind of right formula, um, uh, that actually make patriotic messages more, um, uh, 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 attractive. I would say to especially the the uh, a young audience, yeah. right? Um, by borrowing a lot of the techniques from Hollywood um, and packaging it with a Chinese sort of domestic patriotic message. And actually, the the Wolf Warrior is sort of a testing um, case, right, for that kind of formula. And and now it seems that people are trying to, to replicate that with different productions, but essentially the same formula. And Red Sea is an, another... Example showing that this 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 is the kind of thing that that actually can sell right yeah. in the Chinese market. It's funny thinking actually. Even even recently, there have been a number of um, you know U.S. Army sponsored movies. Um, mm. I think there was like like something called like Special Forces or something, mm. and um, you know it was terrible and it bombed. <laughs> uh, but you know the, the the more Hollywoodized Rambo's and. Mm. Um, uh, you know, American snipers. Not necessarily that was supposed to be a, a, a raging patriotic movie, mm. but um, it, it's interesting how the uh, the um, the uh, you know the, the movie makers who 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 try to sell movies all day um, and aren't necessarily propagandist, having having them be the kind of the base of the soup, and then sprinkling on the um, uh, yeah. um, the, uh, the the nationalism in the end tends to be a more effective uh, formula than uh, than having the. Um, uh, um, the you know the 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 people who are who are um, you know in charge of messaging all day do this sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, what 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 actually draws people to to the cinemas are actually the actions, right? And yeah. all the grenades and all the the, the rocket uh, RPGs and all the weaponry and things like that. But then you yeah sprinkle some uh, patriotic messaging and, and it sort of worked. Yeah, because because yeah. a, a past trend in 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 these movies uh, and one that I confess I fell asleep forty five <laughs> minutes into because it was so awful oh. um, is hiring uh, really famous actors and singers. Um, I think I think I watched like the the founding of the oh, the founding of the, the founding Republic. of the army or founding oh. the Republic, right? Oh. Um, and you know there were all these Xiao Shen Rou, there are all these. Uh, <laughs> You know, twenty somethings who look like they're seventeen, um, yeah. and they're playing army. You know, famous people from uh, um, the Communist Party, Communist history. Party history. Yeah. But uh, you know, they're not very committed to their roles because <laughs> you know their agents force them to do this, and um, it just doesn't really gel. Um, no, no, yeah. So, yeah, I would say they they it's it's a, a process of trying to find the right formula that actually draws the audience um, to the cinema. Yeah. yeah. So uh, amazing China, which is the 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 big new. Um, uh, it's a documentary. Uh, docu- yeah, yeah. Docu- sort of a documentary. Documentary yeah. um, uh, tried to you know was was going over the same um, uh, you know w- was trying to hit more things than just uh, what uh, Wolf mm. Warrior Two. I'm curious if you saw that and had any thoughts. I haven't seen uh, Amazing China, but I've seen the Pillars of a Great Power, okay. um, which mm. is all about ch- manufacturing, actually. Yeah. Uh, also a CCTV production. And I would argue that, yeah, there's a new sort of a new genre um, of um, sort of nationalist or patriotic propaganda that's focusing on engineering, right? Yeah. Um, and I think it's interesting because engineering is naturally less um, threatening uh, to the outside world um, than if you are flexing your military uh, muscles, right? So, if you if you are American or a, a sort of an African 
or a uh, viewer and you watch uh, Wolf Warrior, you some you probably would be sort of put off by by it. It did get very... a global release actually. Though. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I I I made my parents go watch it in, uh, back <laughs> back in the U.S. and I think they got a big kick out of it just because yeah. you know we're not used to seeing Americans be the bad be the bad guys in movies yeah, right? or the weaker guys. Or, yeah, 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 you know in, they in had this, they had this great line. They're just like, "Where are your Marines now?" <laughs> yeah, right? yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I think compared to that, uh, those kind of engineering documentaries are uh, less threatening. Uh, I would say the message is less jarring, I would say. Sure. Um, because it's all about building stuff. More boring, though. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely more boring. Yeah, it's about building cranes and building, like, those heavy machineries. Big, big bridges <laughs> yeah, and yeah. tunnels. Yeah. Um, but well, in terms of, um, I would say, propaganda and publicity, it also worked quite well uh, yeah. because it, it draws... Uh, especially, I think if you are young people, it also make you more interested in engineering, uh, which was also quite important, right, for the country. Uh, if you're tra- attracting people into the, the industries, right. Um, but actually, an interesting twi- twist is that after this trade war dispute, um, those kind of, uh, especially I think, Amazing China uh, yeah, got it, ha- it had a big uh, ZTE feature in it. The movie, I yeah. Think. So they, it had to. It has to be pulled from cinemas, right? Because at some point, I think the the people in charge of publicity and propaganda felt that um, China is being too out there, right, with this, this message. Um, when they realize a little more, um, because in those documentary, it, it it depicts China as already very like strong and very successful as sort of a manufacturing uh, uh, sort of powerhouse, right? Mm-hmm. But then the CTE thing happened, which makes China, I think, realize how vulnerable it still is, right? And um, when the U.S. decides to uh, pull the plug, basically, uh, on a Chinese one of the largest Chinese companies, and the company was just helpless, right? Because I think ninety percent or even ninety five percent of its its chips. Are, are sort of reliant on U.S. suppliers, yeah. right? So whenever the U.S. cut that uh, and pulled the plug on that, it, the, the whole company sort of uh, came to a, a halt, right? Because their, their production could not could not uh, continue. Um, so it shows how vulnerable the Chinese industries are, are still um, are still are, right? At this moment, despite all the the sort of propaganda propaganda that we're already a very strong like manufacturing powerhouse and our engineering prowess is sort of world level and, and things like that yeah so i think it, it, it makes people uh, at least some people realize that uh china still has a long way to go uh in its industrial rejuvenation right and you, you shouldn't be too sort of complacent about uh where you have achieved basically well on that um ambiguous note i think we'll call it an episode this was uh this was fantastic thanks so much for coming and the next time you write a um uh, another econ focused uh, column we'll be sure to have you back on oh thank you
给谁听？听不清吗？看不见吗？你的大脑呢？大家醉了，我还醒着，说出什么感觉？让我准备去告别。我心中荒草家园，整理出我的夜。新的人间，有化妆污秽，早已经开眼。好了，再见，我要走了。来。
Oh, my God.